Today's two-day-late episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by Nostalgia. Because, oh boy, we are going to get into it. We have another gold dive. I freaking love these. And you know what? The This feedback has been really great. You guys love them too, and that's awesome. We are finally going to do a modern, modern game. One from this decade. But before we tell you what the game is, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash the Goldcast, and you can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast, and you can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we love to hear from you. Yeah. Raymond, where can they find you? I'm actually on Twitter at Ray Solis, and I'm also on Instagram at Ray Solis One. Yes, and you can find me on Instagram at Rudy Solis Three, and on Twitter at Rudy Solis Three R D. Okay, folks, the waiting is over. Once we end the intro today, and you've probably already seen it if you already read the intro to, the, to this podcast, the episode today. We are doing 49ers versus the Saints, 2011, the catch three. Yes. yes. Great game. Great game. Great game. Frustrating offensive game, but we'll get into that in, once we start it. But uh, we're going to do that. It is here. Your next episode, the third episode of the Gold Dive ever is here. Raymond. The greatest fanalist in the game is also here. Rudy Solis III, the, your professor of fanalism, is also here. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Dives. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host... Raymond Solis the first, baby. Oh, yeah. Here we go. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about this journey here. 49ers versus the Saints. Let's start with the run-up. Here come the San Francisco 49ers as they get set to host this divisional playoff matchup with the New Orleans Saints. All right, so I want to begin, Raymond, with a personal note about how my fandom was recharged, and, and I want to share a little story with all of you. I, I started breakdancing, and I was chasing that professionally through the 90s and the early 2000s, tore my rotator cuff, and in all of that time, and then I started coaching gymnastics competitively. I used to coach one of the number one teams in the state of California, and in all of that time, I wasn't watching the 49ers. I was just, all I did is, Raymond, you can recall, I watched nothing but breakdancing videos and, and, I, and, I, and gymnastics, and that was it. My life was b-boying and gymnastics for about over 10 years. And then a tragedy occurred in 2008. Rudy Slee Sr., my father's father, our grandfather, who we lovingly uh, referred to as Lito, like Abuelito, but we used to call him Lito, he passed away. And I grew up my whole life, Raymond and I grew up watching my father watch the 49ers. And every Sunday, he would call Lito. You remember this? Yes. 
every Sunday he would call Lito. Vividly. Yeah, vividly. This is what they did. And I remember when Lito passed, I was so scared about contemplating and just having to like deal with the idea that my dad, our dad, our father, Rudy Solis Jr., the unofficial member of the Gold Cast, would not have anyone to call on Football Sunday. So I made a decision that I was going to start watching the 49ers again. And in 2008, I came back to the team. Now, and I tried every Sunday to call my dad. And I didn't watch, I didn't even watch the whole season in 2008. I watched like, I'd say like half the games, maybe a little over half. I somewhere between like eight and 10. And then in 2009, not only watched a bunch of the games, I think I watched every game. I went to, I think two or three at Candlestick. And then in 2010, everything changes and we get Jim Harbaugh. Mike Singletary was the final coach. I went to the final game, which I believe was against Arizona. I was at that game in the prior season, in the the 2009-2010 season. I was there. And I remember them losing. I was falling asleep. The Niners were losing. I remember standing up going, it's all right. I was with our cousin Brian and a friend. And I said, it's all right. We'll be back. And then we walked off. And that was the last that was the last that was the last candlestick game I ever went to. And then the following year, the the Mike Singletary was fired. And the 49ers hired Jim Harbaugh and general manager Trent Balky. The 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 infamous Jim Harbaugh and infamous Trent Balky. Under Harbaugh, the 49ers went 13 and 3 in their very first season, clinching the NFC West in week 13 after defeating the St. Louis Rams. Remember those guys, Ray? Yep. The Niners I don't like to, but I kind of do. I do. <laughs> exactly. But I have to. The Niners went into the playoffs as the second seed. The number one seed was the Green Bay Packers. They played this game in the divisional round and then were defeated by the New York Giants in the NFC Championship. Raymond, any comments you want to make about that, about any of that, about the run-up into this game? The anticipation was crazy. We're talking eight years, straight, eight straight seasons without a playoff appearance. Eight straight the Niners were picked by ESPN, by many of the ESPN analysts, the prior year to go first, to be the first in the NFC West with all of their talent. They were saying Niners have, have a chance to be first. They went 6-10, and 10, and now they come back and they go 13-3. and three. Your, your thoughts on this season? Well, it was huge because we had, we had been in such a long losing drought, and it wasn't fun to watch the games during that time. I watched them kind of... As soon as the game got away from us, I would usually tune out and be like, all right, this is where the Niners kind of blow it and, you know, the, nothing good happens. You know, similar to how the latter half of this or majority of this past season panned out where we would kind of give it up in the fourth because we'd run out of steam and just didn't have enough fight to, to sustain any uh, any leads or, or any comeback and the Niners were the same way, although they were way worse. We had the two back-to-back, two and 14 seasons. And so it was a big deal. This was Alex Smith's debut playoff appearance, and it's going up against the reigning or the Super Bowl champion of 2009. Aaron Rodgers had won in 2010. And so it was a big deal. It was a a perennial quarterback up against a former number one draft pick that had gone through different offensive coordinators for six straight seasons and had finally got his taste of a winning season and a playoff uh, playoff game in this first game. So it was a big deal for Alex Smith. 
and everything was new. I mean, these coaches would go on to do different things, you know, which we'll get into later. But, uh, but yeah, it was a big deal. I remember we were super pumped. We went to our aunt's house to watch it, and we had lots of friends and family, Niner fans. Um, in, in addition to family, our whole core family was there, the aunts, uncles, cousins. And then we had a bunch of friends, um, our parents' friends, some of my friends, Faye was there. Um, they all came in to watch the game and it was cause it was a big deal, you know, cause first time in eight years. So it was, we definitely, you know, planned a, a house, you know, a potluck style, or I should say a, a home tailgate version, uh, to, to watch the game. Absolutely. This, you know, I, I, I'd really only seen two seasons prior to this. I missed so much of this rough era for the Niners that when I came back, I was like, Hey, we're back. This is what we always do, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is how it's been the whole time, right? <laughs> I, I remember being so pumped and feeling the pressure that I felt as a kid. It came back. It was like I was being transported back, but it was now and I was an adult. And it was a really, it was a really crazy feeling. It was very exciting. I remember that. It was, I was nervous as hell, but I believed that the 49ers were going to win this game. What did you believe going into this game and that era? I didn't know what to expect. I mean, we were really good up to that point. We had the same record as the Saints. I felt confident because I felt like the defense was so good. And even though, you know, the, the last game of the season, we didn't look so hot going to the divisional round. I just felt confident because our defense was far superior than uh, the Saints. And we had more pro bowlers. And all those guys were really, really good. We had Alden Smith, we had, uh, who was a rookie, or, well, yeah, who was a rookie. We had Justin Smith, who was amazing. We had uh, two great corners in Carlos Rogers, or I should say two great safeties in Dante Whitner and Deshaun Goldson, who both made the Pro Bowl. We had uh, Carlos Rogers, who didn't do anything in Washington, but found a home and found a career year this year under defensive coordinator Vic Fangio and had six picks that year. He did terrific. Deshaun Goldson, I think, had six picks as well. And he also, I mean, we had a lot of, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman were pro bowlers. We just had, every level had pro bowlers. Defensive line had Justin Smith. Linebackers had Bowman and Willis. And the secondary had three pro bowlers. So we were just all over the place in terms of talent. So I felt good. I felt good because our defense was terrific. And I felt like that was, I would feel less optimistic if, if we were more like the Saints, where we had a potent offense, but not so much a great defense. This, the Saints defense was ranked 26 that year. So they, I, the, the, clearly we had the better defensive unit. Yeah, I remember that sideline reporter. Gosh, I don't remember his name. I've seen him. He still does works for them now, but he sits there and he opens the game and he says, "Tony that, Saragusa." Yes, that's who it is. Goose. And and I remember he says he goes, "These are what the Saints do. They apply pressure, apply pressure, apply pressure." And I'm yeah, and I was sitting there going, <laughs> I was like, um, "Have you seen the 49ers? Like even as I'm, I'm like, really? Like because uh, if we're gonna talk about who applies pressure." I think it's the 49ers. Even as he said it in modern, I'm sitting there going, that was dumb. <laughs> I was like, that was, that was not a... That yeah, was- I didn't think it was a very good take either. And I think what he was alluding to was the fact that the Saints were just blitz happy. I think so too. I think that's what he meant by it. It just, it just seems silly. Because I was like, it, that does not... That does not apply. That applies to the 49ers, not to this defense yeah, at all. The, the Saints, I mean, they had Roman Harper in the secondary, who is a really good player. 
but they had a lot of holes and Drew Brees had to bail him out of a lot of games, which he still does now. But the so so in order to offset that, Greg Williams, the infamous coordinator that would get um, that would be, you know, at the at the at the nucleus of the bounty gate scandal, um, his his in order to offset the defense's shortcomings, he said, all right, if I just blitz everybody and get to the quarterback fast enough, we can just disrupt the play. And that's how we'll get by as a defense. Since we don't have enough talent to sustain ourselves and play conservatively the way the Niners do, because they have enough upfront talent in the front seven to apply pressure and stop the run and force us to throw. And you have to deal with two good safeties and corners. Then, you know, I'm just going to blitz the hell out of these teams and they're just going to have to get the ball out faster, which only a handful of quarterbacks do that. And, you know, including in the, and luckily the Saints had one of those quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers being another one, Tom Brady being another one, Peyton Manning in his prime was another one. Uh, but other than that, not a lot of quarterbacks could get the ball out fast enough. And Alex Smith certainly fell victim to that blitz uh, throughout most of this game. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's get into some odds and ends here. Let's talk about some odds and ends. So one of the first things I love, the game opens with Huey Lewis doing the national anthem. Of course. Famed best friend of Joe Montana and Dwight Clark. That's great. Classic San Francisco, right? Classic San Francisco. Yep. I remember I remember around that same time I went to a free show of his in Golden Gate Park, one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in the city. It was great. I was roaring drunk by the end. We were doing lots of Huey Lewis jokes, but it was really fun. Okay, we're off topic there. So <laughs> the good off topic. Good off topic. Good off topic. Yeah. The rules are totally different here. Like there's no helmet to helmet is not a thing. <laughs> like they're and they're not they're they really are really they they don't really enforce any helmet to helmet and pass interference is much leaner here. Yes. The guys are getting jammed at the line of scrimmage. There's a lot of contact at the point the ball's thrown. There, you know, there was, a, I think, the the play in the first quarter where Jimmy Graham and Dante Whitner are going at it, and Dante Whitner just fails to turn around, which is why they say he drew the flag in the first place. Had he turned around, he wouldn't have got called for the flag. But back then, if you didn't turn around and you and you face guarded or you put your hands up in a receiver's face, it's called face guarding and you get a flag for that. I think that still applies today to, to a degree. Um, I don't see it as strictly as enforced as it was back then, because that was one of the, one of the, you know, the, yeah, that was one of the, the more nitpicky rules that they tried to get corners on during this era, uh, uh, during this era of the rules of the secondary rules. But, that play in particular, I mean, they were kind of, Jimmy was kind of on Dante and Dante. Dante, I felt, played it pretty cleanly, but they called him on it because he didn't turn around. And, you know, and then it didn't matter because Jimmy Graham ended up getting, knocking himself out anyways, because he's kind of soft. <laughs> uh, I wish pass interference was a lot leaner still. Yeah, me too. Like, I, I do. I, I, I prefer pass interfer- the, the pass interference leniency of this era than now which is basically it's become like basketball if you if you tap his wrist it's now it's pass interference it's so stupid okay so great secondary is one of the odds and ends that i noticed there Th- this is something that bulky would constantly undervalue and explain to the people why we had this badass secondary ray this secondary that kind of reminds me of a secondary that would come out a couple years later from up north in seattle this kind of felt like a little baby 49ers version of the Legion of Boom. 
Tell me, why would Balky constantly get rid of this guys, these guys? What was going on back there? I just think he wasn't willing to pay these guys because they were really good. And they were, they were good because they worked really well in Vic Fangio's system. And when it became time to pay them, Balky was not willing to give up that money. He would rather invest it into, you know, cheap free agents that could come into that system and just, you know, come in and, you know, thrive under Vic Fangio at, you know, low cost, but high reward, which is what they got at when he brought Carlos Rogers in and Dante Whitner, Sean Goldson was drafted through us. So I think that was his thinking because one of Balky's faults was just, he was just such a goddamn cheapskate. He was one of the cheapest GMs in the league, in my opinion. And when he did dish out money, it never panned out with the exception of, I would say, Anquan Bolden. Um, that was a great pickup. But, you know, outside of that, you know, there was the one receiver we picked up, the the north-south deep threat that came from the, the Ravens. I forget his name, but uh, that's how forgettable he is. But this group was terrific. They had 11 pass deflected that game. Carlos Rogers had three alone of that, of that 11. Uh, he did terrific. He had a really good game. Alden Smith and Justin Smith both had, both had nine hits on Drew Brees this game. They were all over him. So, and they did the bulk of the pressure work. Dante Whitner even got in there too. So this was great. I mean, I thought they did tremendous in this regard. And this was just, remember, three of these guys were pro bowlers. Um, they did amazing. I think the other was Terrell Brown, who he drafted, who was who did, had a good game too. He had a tremendous interception in this game. So athletic. And then it was Chris Culliver. Tons of talent, but could never tap into it because he was kind of an idiot. And I, I hated this guy. He was, he was the one cornerback I could not stand on the team. I just couldn't stand every time he was on the field. And you'll see it in this game. If you guys go back and watch it, there's a really good quality version on YouTube. Chris Culliver, he's the one that gets exposed a lot in some of these big plays. The, uh, some of the other ones, though, are a result of just missed tackling. And, which, and some beautiful which, passes by Drew Brees. Yes, I mean, and he, Drew Brees made good passes, for sure. But a, a couple of his touchdowns, Darren Sproles and Jimmy Graham, those are both run after the catches, bonehead missed tackles by us, which was very uncommon at the time. We were very a very good tackling team. Way but, better you know, than right now. When you say yes, way better than right yes, now, I was like, God, yes, why don't we tackle better. like this? It's everything. Everything we do now is like a shoulder hit to the hip and, and no every wrapping. Play, every play <laughs> is we're going for the ball. And that's why we got so many turnovers in this game. This was very similar to the NFC Championship game, uh, Niners in Dallas, where the Niners had five turnovers in the first half or the first quarter and pretty much and then steve young put up 21 points off those off those uh, turnovers and pretty much sealed the game from the first quarter this would not be the case this time because the offense was not as prolific as steve young's group not even close and, yes not even close i mean maybe in the running back category the and the tight end category but that was about it and and i'd say offensive line was pretty good too so it's funny you say that raymond my next my next observation I thought it was interesting to note that the Saints had three turnovers in the first quarter of the game. This reminds me of our last gold dive where the Cowboys did that in the NFC Championship against the Niners. And so if you're watching on YouTube and you didn't get that episode, I'm going to link up our two first gold dives there. And you'll, you could see them on, on YouTube. They'll be right there. The We did the NFC Championship, 94, Dallas and, and, and San Francisco. And then we did Super Bowl 23, 49ers against 
the Cincinnati Bengals. But that is my that was my observation too. Three turnovers in the first quarter of the game, which leads to a 17-0 lead, almost identical to the NFC Championship uh, against the Cowboys. So funny that you brought that up. I had that note there as well. First thing I noticed too. So, yeah, totally. Second, next one. Frank Gore's power is on full display. His 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 reputation for patience, and he waits behind the he waits behind the lineman, has his hand on their hips, and then breaks through the hole once they do the block. He doesn't need to do that here. He's still young, Frank Gore. He's still young, fast, powerful, Frank Gore, and he he needs the smallest window in this era to get through. He does, and he grinded out this game. He didn't put up you know huge numbers. He did have 13 carries for 89 yards, and his average was 6.8, which is amazing. An average of 6.8, that's terrific. So I think he had a good game, even though he didn't eclipse 100 yards. But between Kendall Hunter and Alex Smith's runs, they um, obviously got over the 100-yard hump to, uh, together, whereas New Orleans uh, couldn't even crack 50 yards. Uh, running today because the Niners front seven was just so stout. They made the Saints be one dimensional, which I think they were used to at this point between Pierre Thomas, Chris Ivory, Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles was more of their their Swiss Army knife, much how they, how they use Alvin Kamara uh, in today's version of Drew Bees' offense. That was his role. Pierre Thomas and Ivory were kind of the, 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 bell, the bell cows for this team, but they would not get a chance. In fact, Pierre Thomas only touched the ball once and he would never touch the ball again and he would never touch the field again, thanks to Dante Whitner. And so, but, but yeah, going back to Frank Gore, uh, if you watch Frank Gore, take a close look at his technique. What he does is very unique and almost defies physics. He leans his upper torso forward and with his core muscles, just kind of hangs it over, over himself and then pushes with his legs and able is able to duck most of the linemen and linebackers that are coming out of him because he's also very short, but also his running style, which put, puts his front of his torso forward um, in a very unorthodox position, but he gets down and low. So your, sh- your shoulders are forward and then he runs really low, which is how you're supposed to run. It's how you're taught to run in the NFL. It's pro technique. And he does it like textbook, uh, very much like Clay Thompson's textbook. Shooting is, uh, is how you should shoot in the NBA. Frank Gore's running technique is textbook pro style and this is how he's able to be so elusive to many players and how he's been very elusive throughout his entire career is because he gets low very well he holds it through the line through the hole and then once he gets out he stands upright and then bursts it's just to Trent Gore is just a tremendous player yep a couple other quick ones and then we'll get into the game it's strange to see Cap and Jim Tom Sula on the sideline in their reduced roles in this era. So weird. It's like a movie. It's like watching a movie and you see, or a TV show, and a character's introduced in like the second episode and you're like, who's that? And then they're gone. And then and then in the second season, they're like the stars. Yeah. Yeah, very and, weird. And, and this is when we liked both of those guys. <laughs> yeah. The... The offense really struggles, uh, and we're, we'll talk about it during the game, but Smith is still really underdeveloped. He gets destroyed on third-down conversions. The 49ers were the 31st team in the league on third-down conversion, and they only converted 17.9% in the playoffs. So bad. We basically, with Alex Smith at this era, and this, would play, this followed him into the Chiefs too, you had two shots, and if you couldn't get it on two shots, forget about it. He was useless in the third, in the third on third down. Yeah, he was. Uh, other than the... First third down that he got when he was in the red zone and it resulted in a touchdown pass to Michael Crabtree. And it was off of a penalty, I believe, or a turnover. I can't remember which one. I believe it was a turnover. 
but that um, that was pretty much the only third down that you know he would get, with the exception of you know in the last drive of the game. Yeah, he had three. I think he had three total. Three. I think only three. I got, I'd have to double check the numbers, but I'm. Yeah, it, the the, like, the final. He yeah, he got the first the first third the first series of of the game. He got it was a touchdown to Michael Crabtree. Or uh, yes, it was a touchdown to Michael Crabtree. And oh no, um, I'm sorry, it wasn't this. It was the second their second possession. I think they punted after the the fumble by Pierre Thomas off of the Dante Whitner hit. Yeah, and then then they got. Um, yeah, they did. Yeah. Oh no, it was Vernon Davis. That was the Vernon Davis touchdown. Was the first one. It was the Crabtree was the second touchdown. A couple last things. Our special teams kills it here, and that's interesting because they basically shot us in the foot in the NFC Championship, and they played amazing here. Well, Kyle Williams shot us in the foot. We had two, yeah, bowl, two pro bowlers on special team. One was David Akers, who had a career year that year, the most field goals in NFL history in a single season, regular season. And our punter, Andy Lee, was also a pro bowl that year. He would go on to get three, two more pro bowl appearances after that in a row. Next, Saints had not lost since before Halloween of that year. They were on a run. They were hot. They were super hot. Last two. Um, la- this next one, I do miss. I miss the Smith brothers. Oh, man, I miss Justin Smith and Alden Smith. I miss, I miss. I just miss saying Alden Smith. Alden Smith, I don't know where you are right now. And, in fact, our cousin saw him. I think we talked about it when it happened. Our cousin saw him down in San Francisco at some restaurant or cafe. Oh, and that he was, was me. Oh, that was you. You're the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the one. So tell that story really quick. Who do you think he was talking to? Pretty sure he was talking to an attorney. They had Damn. she had a, a binder open with a, with you know just looked like there was documents and papers that she was handing to him, and he was reading. So most likely an attorney going over court papers, you know, stuff like that. And I think uh, there was a report that came out a week or two or, or more ago recently. Within the within the last thirty days of him possibly getting popped for another DUI or something like that. Oh man, I, I, just doesn't I'll, end for the poor guy. Alden Smith, I don't know where you are, and you'll probably never hear this, but on the off chance you do, I hope you find some help because you were a, such a great player, and I don't even care about your playing anymore. I just hope you find your help for you. I miss the Smith brothers. I miss Jim Harbaugh. I I, I love seeing him in this era. I got so much nostalgia from this era. I I missed. I was like, I, I'm I'm love Kyle Shanahan. Wouldn't trade him. I, I love. I prefer his offense over Jim Harbaugh and Greg Roman's offense any yes, day of the week. Yes, he's far far superior mind in terms of offensive development than Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, but but I do I do miss the fieriness of Jim Harbaugh. Yes, yeah. that part is great. So fun. And then last thirty years ago, in the same week on January tenth was the original catch, Joe Montana to Dwight Clark, four days earlier. This this game this game occurred on January 14th, 2011. How weird is that? Crazy. All right, Raymond, let's get into it. The ghost. The ghost. Let's get into the game. Break down the first quarter for the people. So the first quarter is one of my favorites because it's what really kind of sets the tone of the game for the 49ers defensively. The... Saints opened up with a really long six-minute drive, 11 plays, 73 yards, but it was spoiled on the San Francisco 7 when Drew Brees passed to Pierre Thomas to the San Francisco 2-yard line, or to, to the San Francisco for five yards, but Dante Whitner met him at the 2-yard line, helmet-to-helmet helmet blow. Pierre Thomas goes out cold. You can see it in the replay. His arms go stiff. The ball comes out. We get the ball at the two. 
It amounts to nothing in that following series. We did get eight plays off of 45 yards and took up about four and a half minutes of clock, but it ended up just resulting in a punt. Um, again, could not convert on the third down in, in that series at all. We got a lot of first and 10 on second down. We, we, we were able to move the ball on second down, but third down was just the Achilles heel. And that's because Greg Roman would blitz the hell out of us every third down chance he got because he knew that this was that that was a good way to get to Alex Smith. And sure enough, it was. However, later in that same quarter, we had a huge touchdown pass on second and five on the New Orleans 49 yard line. He passed deep to Vernon Davis, who broke for a 32 yard touchdown yard, 32 yards after the catch for a huge touchdown that put us up seven to nothing. And it was, this is a terrific play because this was at the prime. This Vernon Davis was finally coming into his prime. We already knew that he was a perennial blocker, but he was finally coming into his own as a receiver. And I think we could have gotten much many more years out of Vernon Davis had we had better offensive coordination uh, after from when we drafted him up until this point. But I totally I mean, agree. We, he was so yeah. talented, and I really think this is one of those. This is a he could have been issue. a Jimmy Graham or Easily. a Gates or a Tony Gonzalez, but we just didn't have the, the. He just wasn't surrounded with the right coaching to take advantage of his skill set, which was so unique. This was a tight end that could leap over players. He did it a couple times in 2013, which was his best season with us ever, and he was just an amazing. His speed was just amazing. That was his big thing. His speed was just out of this world and powerful. Uh, he was really yes. hard to take down. Imagine, imagine him under Kyle Shanahan. Oh wait, we already have a great tight end under Kyle Shanahan. Yes, now we have the best tight end in the entire league. But he could have been one of these in that era, no question. He had a couple of insane been. years. He did. He he broke he broke Brent Jones's record, which was what. Remind me. Is, uh, the amount of touchdown catches in a season for uh, a 49ers tight end. Oh, I don't remember that. Nice. Way to pull that one out the out yeah. the cuts. I like it. And so in the same quarter, we also had a, a another touchdown. So the Saints got the ball back after our touchdown, and it was immediately intercepted on the third play. And it was intercepted by Deshaun Golton, who brought it back 41 yards. It was an amazing play. He he played spy, read Drew Brees, came in, made the pick. It was a great play by Deshaun Goldson. And shortly after that, on the very next drive, we drove three plays about four yards in 15 seconds. And immediately, Alex Smith threw a pass short to Michael Crabtree for four yards, touchdown. This was third and goal. So this was our you know one of the third third down attempts that we had in the game and Alex Smith nailed it. It was a short and it was a very, a very familiar play, very common play for Jerry Rice. The inside slant play worked like a charm. And so we got the touchdown there. And then right after that, I believe was uh, we ended the quarter with um, this getting the ball back um, because they fumbled on the ensuing kickoff. After that touchdown, we got the ball back four plays, six yards later Minute 23 left in the quarter. Uh, David Akers ended up getting uh, a field goal out of this one. And it was, uh, what was it? Um, it was a 25-yard field goal by David Akers, who was rock solid that year. It was his, his best year as, as a pro, even better than any of his years in Philadelphia, including, I think, a 60-plus yarder. 
All right, second quarter begins. Now in the second quarter, second quarter goes pretty fast. There's really not a lot of action on the 49ers side, but the quarter, be- it starts. We obviously, after that, we we take advantage of that turnover and the quarter begins with a 25-yard field goal by our kicker, David Akers. The score is now 17-0 in favor of our beautiful 49ers. Very reminiscent of what we already talked about, that 21-0 start against the Cowboys. But Drew Brees and the Saints would answer back with two touchdowns and a defensive interception to bring the score up to 14-17. Niners with only a three-point lead. The Niners, after that field goal, would end the quarter with two punts and a fumble recovered by the Saints. Pretty much that offense just sputters after that 17-0 start. And as we talked about, Ray, they basically what they kept doing was they would just blitz Alex Smith on third down and crush him. Yeah, they blitzed him like crazy. They basically were blitzing like seven, seven players at a time almost, it seemed like. they were From all kinds leaving. of angles, from all yes, kinds and, of angles. And so this means that they were leaving players open. But Alex Smith was is obviously not a Drew Brees or an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady and couldn't get the ball out fast enough to really take advantage of the blitz. Quarterbacks like that, it's really hard to do that against. You probably they probably blitz one less player if you're playing an Aaron Rodgers and you you take that chance maybe only if you know that uh you have an offensive lineman that's hobbled. We had Joe Staley on the left side who was a pro bowler. We had a couple pro bowlers on the offensive line that season. So it was, uh, it was, um, it was just, uh, they, Greg Williams played a good, he had a good game plan. It was a simple game plan and the game plan they pretty much done all season, but I think it worked fairly well against Alex Smith for majority of the game. Absolutely. Oh, and you know what? I incorrectly, I'm going to say it now just so uh, we don't get corrected in the comments. I incorrectly said 2010, 2011, this was 2011 into the 2012 season. That's the season that we're in here. I said 2010 to 11. Okay, Raymond, break down the third quarter. Let's go. So the third quarter was a little less dramatic. It began with actually a field goal by us in the opening drive. We got the ball back. So Jim Harbaugh was known for loving to defer to get the ball back in the second half versus the first half because he the defense was so good that they could help us build a lead in the first half, and then we would get the ball back to start the second half to really start to pour it on them and kind of build upon that lead and demoralize our opponents. didn't always work because our offense was just so was not very potent back then. But in the opening drive of the second half, 11 plays, four yards, about a minute off the clock, and we got within – we got within – uh field goal range gave Dave, David Akers the chance and you know he got us a field goal right there at the uh towards the end of the half and so after that Andy Lee um then on the the next drive Andy Lee I think punted the ball and the New Orleans fumbled again Blake Costanza Blake they just Costanzo. keep fumbling this entire yeah. game <laughs> We just, well, if you look at the replays, some of them, there was some that were boneheads, but most of them, it was all of our players just going after the ball constantly, just constantly. That's also, that's also a Vic Fangio staple. That's one of his staples because the bears are really good at it too. And that's because that, that's a Fangio staple. Yeah. And so this fumble led to a David Akers field goal. So again, pay attention here. We had one fumble, the Pierre Thomas fumble, which led to zero points. 
We had the fumble after the first touchdown, which did lead to some points, did lead to a touchdown, the Michael Crabtree touchdown. And we had this fumble on the punt from Andy Lee that led to another David Akers field goal. So, so far we have, what is it, three turnovers and only 13 points out of that. Steve Young already put up 21 against that uh, in the in the game for comparison's sake. Yeah. And so the period after that field goal, it was basically Saints punt, Niners punt, Saints punt, Niners punt, Niners, uh, I think, offensive pass interference. They lose that drive. Saints get the ball back, and then they score a field goal after that. Two field goals, a lot of punts. The game really slowed down after the second half, and it was a defensive effort on both sides. Yes, exactly. So, as you mentioned, let's go to the fourth quarter. Uh, the the four, the defense, the Forty Nine defense, you know, continues to hold them. Breeze throws a forty two yard pass on Marquez Colson's deflected by Reggie Smith. This is followed up by that forty eight field yard field goal by John Cassay. The kick, the kick's good. The score is seventeen twenty. Forty Nine are still in the lead, hanging on by a thread here. Up to this point in the second half, as you'd mentioned. The the every these are the four possessions in the second half up until the start of the fourth quarter for the 49ers. Punt, field goal, punt, punt. To just just stunted. The ensuing drive for the 49ers ends in another punt. That's now five punts in the second half. Okay, third down conversion issues continue in this quarter. Well, in this quarter as well, the 49ers have gone two and twelve on two and twelve on the game at this point. Two and twelve on third down conversion. Okay, and and this isn't the Saints took advantage of this, but this is something that plagued them the entire season. Okay, following the following Saints drive begins with back to back sacks from Justin Smith and Ahmad Brooks. That was the best, the best. That 49ers faithful is going crazy. Then one of the best plays of the game happens. Third down for the Saints. Drew Brees drops back. Justin Smith pushes the Saints tackle. Did you ever find out the name of that tackle, by the way? It was the starting tackle, which I believe was the, what is, yeah, it was their left tackle. So Drew Brees was a pro bowler that year. Jimmy Graham was a pro bowler that year. And then the left tackle was also a pro bowler. That was German Bushrod, who was there. He was a pro bowler, just like our, um, just our Joe Staley was a pro. They had three pro bowlers on the offensive line that year. They had an amazing offensive line. Drew Brees had a lot of protection most of the year, which is why he put up uh, amazing numbers. So Jerron Bushrod was a left tackle. He was a pro bowler. Carl Nix was the left guard. He was a pro bowler. Brian De La Puente was the center. The right guard was Jari Evans, who was a pro bowler. And then Zach Streif was the right tackle. So on third down, Justin Smith pushes Bushrod all the way back to Drew Brees. Bulldoze him. Bulldoze him. He jumps over Bushrod, grabs Brees by the jersey, and yanks him as he's throwing the ball. Super bad pass. Amazing play. Justin Smith goes crazy. And if any of you guys remember the the one of these are one of the one of these moments I remember the most. This is actually going back to Justin Smith's first sack. After he made that sack, he ran up to the crowd and did like a Brock Lesnar style, like scream up into the air. I, when I saw that, I was like, oh man, I remember that. That was like a, a, iconically stamped in my mind. Then you have the Ahmad Brooks sack, and then he pushes that Bushrod back, and he grabs him, sacked him, almost sacked him, but yanks him and completely throws him off balance. Over the tackle, you rarely see that move. 
That was awesome. Yeah, awesome. and the Justin Smith post became, I'm not sure which paper printed it, but that became the front page photobomb the next day for the San Francisco paper. I think it was, I don't know if it was Examiner. I'm not sure if Chronicle was still in circulation at that. I think pretty sure Chronicle was in circulation on that year. Um, it might've been Chronicle, but that was Justin Smith's Iron Man pose, his, his, his like 300 pose that ended up becoming the front page photobomb. That was awesome. So 49ers get the ball back after that play. Frank Gore, and then Frank Gore immediately busts open on the first play of the drive for a 30, 42-yard huge run. This run was important because this drive sets up David Akers. He puts another three points on the board. The score is 23-17. And that is something that really kind of annoyed me in that era was just how often we had to rely on the kicker. We kind of still have to do it right now, which is a little frustrating because Jimmy G's out was out. But this was another one of those plays. It's like, good thing we have this kicker because we can't score touchdowns. So the 49 defense, now this this is when things start to break down. We're now getting closer to the middle of the fourth quarter. It is clear in this following drive that the 49, 49ers defense is starting to look a little tired. New Orleans basically goes with a lot of empty backfield sets, and they're spreading out the 49ers defense, and Breeze is throwing these short Quick passes, and they're just marching down the field with ease. Boom, 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 boom. Basically going no running backs and just boom, 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 boom. Quick little dumb passes. Five yards, 12 yards, six yards, five yards, 12 yards, six yards. All the way down. And then, then it happens. Drew Brees hits Darren Sproles for 44 yards and a touchdown. And on the way down... Darren Sproles, what really what really allowed Darren Sproles to make this touchdown is Jimmy Graham hits a huge block to Terrell Brown right in the red zone that gives them the go-ahead TD. Saints get their first lead of the day. The score is now 24-23, still super tight. Smith gets the ball moving on the following drive. He hits a 47-yard completion to Vernon Davis. Akers is warming up on the sidelines. The Saints defense is now starting to wear down. Okay, the Niners are forced to take a timeout after getting a penalty for having 12 men on the field, which Harbaugh argued and said they only had 10. I think they did have 12. I, w- I couldn't really tell. They didn't go back and to double check to count. There's two minutes and 18 seconds left on the clock. Niners on the 27-yard line. The following play, Alex Smith slides out to the left and runs 28 yards for a Steve Young-style touchdown. Alex Smith does that that little touchdown, little run dance that he does that they used to show on, on replays all the time, that they still show on replays. Anytime they show Alex Smith stuff, you'll often see this one. He does that little dance. You remember that little dance he did, Ray? I was like, oh, I forgot. That's This is the game that dance came from because I've seen it on a, million, on a million replays of Alex Smith, you know? Yeah, um, I don't quite remember – the replay but i remember like he put his put like his hands behind his side yeah and like ran. Almost, almost, like he flips his wrists almost yeah. like when you dunk he flipped his wrist behind him down below he was pretty pumped i i think uh as, as the saints didn't really see that coming no they did not no that was a, that was a fantastic play this becomes the longest td by a 49ers quarterback in postseason history i'm not sure if that still stands i wouldn't be surprised if cap has that record. I'm pretty sure he broke that record. He had a I couple. I think Cap did the next year. Yeah, Cap had a couple crazy runs in the postseason. Yeah. But but at the time. And the Steve Young run against the Minnesota Vikings was not a playoff game. Not a playoff game. But this becomes the the uh, the, the longest TD by a 49ers quarterback. 
Niners go, they try to attempt a two-point conversion. They hand off the, the, the ball to Frank Gore, but he is stopped shy of breaking the uh, breaking the end zone. Niners, Niners are only up by five. The score is 24-29. Harbaugh is pissed because Alex Smith called an audible at the line. He called the play. He decided they audibled the play. I think they were going to pass. He decides that they're going to run. And Frank Gore is stuffed at the line. And they're only up by five points now. So now the Saints have two minutes to go. And they're about 80 yards down the field. They have to go 80 yards, two minutes to take the lead. Okay. But it doesn't take that long for the Saints to answer back. Breeze connects with Jimmy Graham, who is in between Dante Whitner and Navarro Bowman. They they try to tackle him, but basically he turns and spins. They collide. They touch. They kind of they hit him, but they mostly collide with each other. This ends up being a 66-yard play that ends in a touchdown. And little punk-ass Jimmy Graham goes to his first little dunk. Didn't dunk that first time, but oh, now he's feeling himself, and he goes for the dunk on the uprights. That play was which ended up becoming illegal in the league until they finally. Let until the league finally let up and just said, let them celebrate however they want to celebrate. <laughs> that was so stupid. And I will say in Jimmy Graham's defense, I love how he did it in like two games back to back and got fined. He did it anyways in two different games back to back. Do you remember that? Yeah. And he just got fined for it. He was just like his, his protest. I thought that was great. That was, that was actually a great moment for Jimmy Graham. So now Saints go for the two point conversion and it is successful. Breeze to Sproles. The score is 32-29. 49ers have a minute and 37 seconds to win this game. Niners go get their Niners get their first down with the clock ticking. Niners are now at their own 33. Second down, 40 seconds or second down, 40 seconds to go. Smith connects with Vernon Davis. Vernon Davis takes it down for 47 yards. Huge play. Huge play. The clock is ticking. Saints now at the, the Niners are now at the Saints 20-yard line. Frank Gore gains seven after a quick little dump pass from Smith. Niners spark, spike the ball. 14 seconds left on the clock. It is now third and three. Those damn third down conversions we've been struggling with all game. Third and three. 14 seconds. So no time on the clock. No time on the co- clock. On the, on the clock. <laughs> Smith, Smith drops back and makes history. He fires a bullet. To Vernon Davis. Davis is hit immediately by Saints cornerback Roman Harper, but Davis holds on, gets a touchdown, and boom, like that, we have the catch three. Talk about that moment, Ray. What did you think? I thought I was having deja vu with the 1998, uh, what is it, NFC divisional playoff game against the Green Bay Packers. The catch two. Where Yes, the catch two, which was also a very similar, similar running route, and Steve Young actually tripped in that play when he uh, hiked the ball, and then didn't have much time to get rid of the ball after that. And then he said he was open, said there was a small window, and he just gunned it. And Terrell Owens, who had been dropping passes all game, and was, you know, a lot of people, you know, I think there was a lot of pressure on him because people were saying he was going to take over for Jerry Rice, who was didn't have a very good game and was definitely into his twilight years. And so finally got another chance at the biggest moment of the game and held on to the ball and got smashed on that play. He got hit a lot harder than Vernon Davis did, but still very similar nonetheless. I think it was uh, Butler 
who hit uh, Terrell Owens on that play. And then uh, Vernon Davis, same thing, just kind of a post route over the middle, and he gunned it in the middle and got it in there. It was very, very similar, extremely similar, uh, only you know, versus a wideout versus a tight end. And also Terrell Owens was very emotional, ran to the sideline without his helmet and cried in Steve Mariucci's arms. And Vernon Davis, uh, likewise, dissimilar, um, also ran to the sideline with his helmet off, crying to the head coach, Jim Harbaugh. It was so eerily similar to that 98 playoff game. It was an incredible play. The emotion, gosh, candlestick erupts. The sound is so deafening in there. Oh, my God. It gave me chills to watch it. I was freaking out. There were several different plays in that fourth quarter. I just was freaking out. It was so good. There were four lead changes in the last three minutes and 53 seconds of this game. We we have to, obviously, we kick off the ball. before We kick off the ball before the final New Orleans drive. The crowd is chanting, defense, defense. They're just chanting it so loud. It is deafening. New Orleans doesn't do anything. Bye-bye. Go home. Final score, 36-32. And the 49ers advance to the NFC Championship. Screw that game. <laughs> but they, <laughs> they, they, they... Kyle Williams. Yeah, yeah, they advance to that game. Final score, 36-32. Let's get into... Some awards, Raymond. What a game. All right. First first award, the worst play of the game. Here are the nominees. The Frank Gore pass to Alex Smith in the third quarter. They're on third down. They try to make they go for that trick play. They pass Frank Gore runs, passes to Alex Smith. It's the, a terrible pass, and it goes down. That's play number one. Worst flea flicker ever. Ever. Bowman and Whitner, the second nominee, Bowman and Whitner colliding and missing the tackle on Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Graham, thus allowing him to get that touchdown to put them in the lead with like two minutes left to go. Oh, two guys, two, two of our best guys of that game. Oh my gosh. Ter- and they're, they're both pro bowlers. Mm-hmm. Third nominee, 90% of all the plays the Niners did on third down, or as you worded it, 90% of all the plays that Alex Smith tried to do on third down. Who is your worst play of the game? <laughs> I'm going to go for Alec, every Alex Smith third down, except for the first quarter touchdown to Crabtree and the fourth quarter touchdown to Vernon Davis. Man, ooh, this is really tough for me. I really want to do the same one. <laughs> But I'm, I'll give it to Bowman and Whitner for missing that damn tackle. There was two of you. Make that tackle. Make that tackle. We don't have to do the catch three. But if they, but then again, by them missing it, we get the catch three. Oh, what a conundrum. There we go. I say Bowman and Whitner. Raymond, you say Alex Smith. I think you're probably more right than me. The Malcolm Butler Award. The Malcolm Butler Award is an award we give to a player who is mysteriously absent in a very important postseason game. Possibly costing his team the game or or at least impacting the game at a high level. Because sometimes we do their players, sometimes we do our own. So the Malcolm Butler Award, here are the nominees. Pierre Thomas getting knocked the out by First quarter? Yeah. First time he touched the ball. First and last time he would touch the ball. Out. Jimmy Graham also hit by Dante Whitner. 
being out for most of the first quarter, unable to capitalize on any of the drives. Or, and this was this was Raymond's insertion, Ray McDonald of Christmas Future. Why don't you break that one down for the for the people? Well, Ray McDonald, and you could even throw Bruce Miller on that list too. These are guys that were, oh, I forgot about him. Oh yeah, my God, of Christmas Future players that would end up throwing away their futures in football for just getting into off the field trouble, and from domestic violence to assault and battery, it was both these guys ended up becoming ended up falling out of football because of that. Who is who is Raymond? Your winner of the Malcolm Butler Award. Based on how the, based on the actual rules for the award, I think I'm going to have to go to Pierre Thomas. I think Jimmy Graham is a strong, strong second, but he was actually able to come back and contribute to the game, whereas Pierre Thomas never came back to the game. He got knocked out, literally, and so and you can see that helmet to helmet would have been uh, would have been a personal foul on Dante Whitner. And had he got another personal foul in that same game, he would have gotten ejected and fined. But in this game, he they play on, and it's a fumble. The Niners get the ball, and they don't score off that play, but they would score on the, on the second series. I agree, Pierre Thomas. All right, let's uh, let's go into our couple of our couple other fun categories before we get into our final awards. Raymond, break down the mafia, the coaching mafia tree. Of this game because the people, everyone, everyone, everyone kind of split after this. This, I mean, after after this this era for the 49ers, and they went completely different places. Where did where did our coaches go? What happened? So Mike Singletary ended up, be, I think, took a break or went back to being a linebackers coach, and I think he coached for Minnesota for a while. I'm not sure if he's still there. Well, no, but, he was with like the AAF or whatever, or the AF that whatever that American Football Alliance, whatever that thing was. He was he was a coach. He was the head coach of one of their teams too. They, they, I mean, they didn't even finish their season. Yeah, and then and then shortly after that, he went back. He's he's in the NFL. He's in the NFL now as a linebackers coach again. Or I think he I think he's also looking into coaching college. But Trent Baalke ended up leaving he's not really a coach he was an executive but uh, I think he's now a consultant for the NFL he does he's no longer a general manager but Jim Harbaugh now coaches for the Michigan Wolverines and he's been to four bowls since then every year he's coached the Wolverines he's been into a bowl game he only won the first year uh, that he coached them. He has not won a bowl game since then. He's lost every bowl game, three straight bowls. And cannot break into the the coaching the the college championships for the the college playoffs and the championships. He's every year he's close but cannot get in. Yeah, and Tom Rathman is a running backs coach for the Indianapolis Colts. Vic Fangio would go on to be the defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears and he brought them to a perennial status, of course, with the acquisition of Khalil Mack, that really kind of turned the, turned them over into an elite group. And now he's the head coach for the Denver Broncos, and we'll see how he does. And then we have Greg Roman, who would go on, who was, I could, I actually ended up not like, this was the one staff member on Jim Harbaugh's staff that I just couldn't, did not like at all. I no. felt sometimes he was creative, but for the most part, he just couldn't seem to get our team over the hump. To, to actually be uh, more effective, I did not think I did not think he was very good. Yeah, and so Greg Roman, I think he's now he was the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, 
and now he's the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Quotes of the game. So this game was commented. The commentators were Kenny Albert and Daryl Johnson. Kenny Albert was play-by-play. Daryl Johnson was color commentator. Uh, they, this definitely makes me miss the days of Madden and Summerall. Yeah, I've seen Ice Cube's melt. Yeah. <laughs> more, more interesting than, than the way these guys commentate. It's rough. And 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 Daryl Johnson, you know, a.k.a. the Moose from Cowboy fame, he he does a lot of our games, a ton of 49er games. Yes, Troy Aikman, too. Oh, I don't know why. Oh. Why is it Cowboys? <laughs> A- Aikman is the worst, is the worst. And when and when they're playing yes, the Cowboys. He's, he's always paired up with Joe Buck, who is uh, who's even worse than Kenny Albert. But, but, but when, but, and when it's, we're going on a tangent, but when it's Aikman, and it's the Cowboys playing the Niners. He just will not throw them a dime. You, he just you, you, you will. Not, he could care less. He just becomes such a fanboy, and it makes me want to rake my eyes out with 49er cleats. Okay, so first one, Moose says, "Take that, Jimmy Graham." When Vernon Davis ducks dunks over the uprights, Vernon Davis dunked, and who dunked the second time? Was it Crabtree? We get two dunks back to back. I think it was Crabtree. Next one. What a throw by Alex Smith. That was the 47-yarder to Vernon Davis in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, that, that's as creative as, as they got. And, and, and that's, this, is, this is how far we go. I went from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. <laughs> um, this is going to be a tough spot right there here. This is a grinded-out style offense. This is, this is with two, two minutes, 47 seconds to go in the game. Johnson in reference to the 49ers. A lot of time left in this game. That's also that's also Moose minute thirty seven. Now this is the big one, Kenny Albert, the best one of the day. Smith on third and three. He throws to the end zone, and the catch is made by Vernon Davis for a Niners touchdown. Then a couple last ones. Gets there. This is so good at the point of the catch for him to be able to hold on to that ball. Roman Harper times it perfectly. He goes all the way through with the process of the catch. Uh, that's the emotion of the game. That is, this has been the most amazing finish to a game that I have seen in a long time. I love that one. And then this one is also great. This is happening as as Harbaugh and Vernon Davis are embracing. A lot of these guys have been here for a long time, fought through very difficult years with the 49ers, and what a great great day this is for them now. That's why they love this guy. They will do anything for this guy. Look at Jim Harbaugh with Vernon Davis. That is awesome. And then the final one, it's a madhouse here in Candlestick. So they had some good. They had they, they, like they definitely they got ignited by the end and then put the afterburners on. All right, Raymond. Here we go. The final three awards, the most important awards on the gold dives, the best ones we have available. Here are the nominees for the best play of the game. The first nominee, Dante Whitner knocking out Pierre Thomas. Pretty good candidate there. Pretty good. Second candidate, Vernon Davis's first touchdown of the day. Number three, Justin Smith grabbing Drew Brees over his left Pro Bowl tackle. Which is technically a horse collar in today's game. Yep. He might have been then too, but I think he just grabbed. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even going to get it. Might have grabbed the jersey. I think he just grabbed the jersey. Yeah. Fourth nominee, Alex Smith's touchdown run. 
an icon, I would say an iconic Alex Smith play. They show that they show that little run across the across the end zone. They show that in replays. All like you know, just when they're showing highlights of Alex Smith, they'll show that quick little run, that little touchdown, that little run. Like you see that in highlight reels of Alex Smith. And then Vernon Davis's forty-seven yard run to give the Niners a chance to win. What's the best play of the game? I'm gonna go with Dante Whitner knocking out knocking out Pierre Thomas because the defense, despite the end score of 32 points yielded by the Saints, Drew Brees was never really comfortable and just really had, even though he put up good numbers statistically, those numbers were, his his few, his, his few touchdowns were missed tackles mostly. Dante Whitner got juked by Darren Sproles on that last touchdown run and the other one was just Whitner and Bowman kind of colliding and really missing Jimmy Graham. They would have stopped him on that play. And other than that, I felt like Drew Brees was never comfortable. He had to get the ball out sooner than what he would like because he likes to throw deep and you have to hold on to the ball longer in order for a play to, to develop for in order for long passes to develop. And that was the Saints style. But they could never really get into that style. And they played a lot of they played uh, they played a really good West Coast offense game. And that was evident, especially in the first drive. Because, but they really had to go to the air in the latter half of the game because they had no running game. Remember, they only amass, they couldn't even amass 40 yards running because of the Niner defense. So they really became one dimensional and had to take huge, had to take, make, call deeper pass plays in order to eat up yardages, in order to eat up more yardage. And so for me, I feel like the Dante Whitner really set the tone for how the defense would play the majority of the game. I think you're, 100% right. The one thing you said is that, you know, Breeze was never comfortable. And that's why my winner for the best play of the game is Justin Smith grabbing Drew Breeze over the tackle. It's just my favorite play of the game. And I think, I think both these plays truly embody what the 49ers were capable of defensively in this era. Such a great defensive team. My God, they were so good. And I like it because it was it was a Justin Smith sack, Ahmad Brooks sack, and then this grab over the tackle. And it was like, this is just, like you said, he was never comfortable. And I think this play embodies just what the Niners did. I, it's like, it's, it's Dante Whitner is the literal embodiment of what they did. And this play to me is the spiritual embodiment of what they did in this game. And that those are your winners. Raymond says, Dante Whitner knocking out Pierre Thomas. Justin Smith grabbing Drew Brees. Now, I know most of you must be asking, wait a minute. How did you guys just do the best play of the game and not have the catch three? Well, our ninth award, most iconic moment. Here are the nominees. Just the catch three. There is no more iconic moment in this game than the catch three. We decided to give the best play of the game to somebody else, give some other play some time, to some to breathe. But the most iconic moment, Raymond, is the catch three. Am I wrong? I mean, come on. This is too easy. No. There was nobody else even worthy. Not even close. It is the most iconic moment. It goes down in history. You can find all three catches back-to-back on YouTube in, 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 in uh, compilations. This is the most iconic moment. It was incredible. You have you have Alex Smith channeling the ghosts of Steve Young and Joe Montana. You have this entire 49ers team channeling what what became the staple of the Joe Montana era in San Francisco. 
winning this game in the final seconds of the game with a beautiful pass to Vernon Davis, holding on through the secondary. Most iconic moment without question. And now it is time for our final award of the day. We call this award the Ric Flair Award because to be the man, you got to beat the man. And so here are our nominees for the people who beat the man, the best of the game. Number one, the entire defensive line. <laughs> That's our, <laughs> yes. our first nominee. Our second nominee. Which mauled a Pro Bowl offensive line in New Orleans. Yep. The second nominee, the secondary. Oh, boy. That secondary was no joke. No joke. I mean, they... Three pole rollers, 11 passes defended, several picks. Yes. Just incredible. The third nominee, Alex Smith, baby. Alex Smith playing above his level when it counted most in that fourth quarter, hitting unable to convert on third down for the entire game, and then he nails it at the one time he needs to. He does it with Vernon Davis, which leads me to my fourth nominee. Vernon Davis had a monster game, was just monster from beginning to end. Yeah, Davis is really coming into his own this season. Really was, really was. Our fifth nominee, Dante Whitner, for setting the tone from the get. Taking down Jimmy Graham and Pierre Thomas, taking them both out of that first quarter, Raymond, which was a huge reason I believe that team could not score in the first quarter. You have Graham that comes back and has a, has a pretty monster game himself, but he is gone for most of that first quarter, and Pierre Thomas is out, thus handicapping what what handicapping Drew Brees and really allowing the 49ers defense to set the pace and the tone for this entire game, and it started with Dante Whitner. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah, he would yeah, he would go to the Pro Bowl the next season too. Yep, aka Dante Hitner. And then the last one, just an inconvenient truth, a staple of the 49ers defense, one of one of my all-time favorite players in the modern era, Mr. Justin Smith. The Cowboy. These are our nominees for the Ric Flair Award. Raymond who wins the Ric Flair Award for you? This is tough. I'm not going to lie. I'm torn. I'm really torn. I got to hear your pick, and then I'll make a decision. That's how torn I am. Uh, this is really tough, but I, I, I feel like I got to give it to Alex Smith because he beat Drew Brees, who was a multi-Pro Bowl quarterback. He had come off. He was only two years removed from a Super Bowl was in MVP talks that season, although I think Aaron Rodgers took it. And it was his first playoff game going against this high caliber, you know, future Hall of Fame quarterback. And he beat him. He beat him at his own game, especially in the fourth quarter when Drew Brees was able to turn it on against our tired defense. Alex Smith matched him. Not only did he match him in the air, but he matched him on the ground with his own legs. And that's not an easy task. And so I got to go with Alex Smith. On his debut playoff game, not only does he beat a future Hall of Famer in Drew Brees, but he beats him in the last seconds with the game-winning touchdown. Not unlike Tom Brady, who relied on his kicker 
and cheating to win big games. <laughs> I like how you just go there out of nowhere. <laughs> what a great, what a great, great pick. Excellent pick. And you have now inspired my pick. My winner for the Ric Flair Award for this third episode of The Gold Dive is going to be the man that caught the pass by Alex Smith, and that is Vernon Davis. He was a rock the entire game. He was he had one of the best games when we had an offense, and Michael Crabtree just couldn't catch a ball. I swear to God, every time Michael Crabtree, you catch a ball in another team's jersey, an angel loses its wings. I just want you to know that, and I want you to remember that. Every single time you catch a ball in another jersey outside of a 49ers team, an angel loses its wings. Completely disappears. Frank Gore had a couple big moments, but you know they, they did a pretty good job of holding him. Vernon Davis is the rock, and he caught that pass. He's hit by Roman Harper. He's not even looking at Roman Harper. That is a classic cornerback play right there. That is a play that when a cornerback does that, they're coming at him. He's basically coming at him from the blind side right there because he's looking at the ball. He's not looking at where he's moving towards. He's coming from his blind side. He hits him right in the hip, right where the ball is. I mean, how many times have we watched a, a wide receiver or a tight end drop that pass? He nails him and he hits him so hard, and Bernard Davis is holding on and is so rocked. Harper goes down. Do you see that? Play? Harper goes down and is down for a minute, and he holds on to the ball. Singletary famously was not a fan of Vernon Davis, didn't think he'd amount to much, said some pretty rough stuff about him in the news, and now Vernon Davis comes back and he makes the play of the game. He is now in the pantheon of the catch. The man who makes the catch, he is in that pantheon of those players who makes who the recipients of the catch. And I think it is only right that we give the one Ric Flair award to Alex Smith and another Ric Flair award to Vernon Davis, the two guys that make Ooh, it. You know, yeah, I like that. That's this I think this makes the most sense. I think you could give it to any of those guys and you have a pretty good a good a good argument. But for for you and I, I think this makes the most sense. Alex Smith and Vernon Davis are the winners of the Ric Flair Award. Man, what a great game, huh? Awesome game. Awesome game. Really awesome game. Really took me back to that era. Uh, really I, good quality recording, too, on YouTube, the version that we ended up watching. Kudos to that uh, YouTube user. We're going to put a link in the description. It's in high definition. It looks fantastic. It's All the commercials are edited out perfectly. Perfectly. The game moves. The timeouts, it moves. It's about three hours long, but that final fourth quarter, man, is over 30 minutes. I mean, it's no joke. And the last yeah. the last two minutes of the game were over 20 minutes. 20, it took 20 minutes for the two minutes to pass in this game. And like they said, there are there are four lead changes in four minutes or three lead changes. I don't remember what the hell I said. <laughs> yeah, the last, the last five minutes, it just become electric. It, yeah, it really did. This is a classic Niners game where they're where both teams are struggling or the Niners are struggling, and then it just it just goes on. I really have to do give it up to Drew Brees though. He played like a champ. He played really yeah, he well. Did. He was really impressive. He was the most impressive player on their team. He he kept them in that game the whole time, and the defense really started to fade in the fourth and that. And the Niners turned it on, and Alex Smith turned it on, like you said. 
Yeah, Alex. Alex always plays well in the playoffs. He hasn't, you know, he's. I think he's. He's hasn't won a whole lot of games with them in the. Uh, That's Reed's fault. The Kansas, the Kansas City era, but that is more on the Kansas City defense's fault and the coaching um, staff. Yeah, I would blame the defense for those shortcomings and those the the more recent games that they've played. Yeah, I blame Andy Reid on those, but it was a great game. Let us know. In the comments, who is the MVP of the game for you? I think that's a really great question for the people. For the Goldcast Nation, the 49er faithful, who is your guy? And then, Raymond, let's look a little bit ahead to the next episode of the Goldcast. It's June 26th. KD has officially uh, declined his $31 million second year option. Free agency is about to begin. We'll be back on Sunday for a Monday episode, and then we're going on break. We're going to go on break for July 4th. Our, our, the Solis family is going to an, a secret, undisclosed location for a wonderful holiday and great fireworks. But I have a feeling, Raymond, we're going to be talking some NBA free agency on Sunday. I have a strong feeling we might even know where Kevin Durant's going to land. It yeah, might- I hope not. I mean, it, it could mean a couple things. You know, it could mean... We'll get into it, but the de- declining the player option either means he's going to free agency, which you know might be the case, or it could mean that he's renegotiating a contract with the Warriors, and you have to decline the option in order to do that. You do. I have no idea. I I have no idea, but we'll get into all of that later. So that's it. Thank you for joining us on the Catch 3, one of the iconic games of the modern era. Thank you so much for listening. Raymond, do you have anything left to tell the people before we go? Other than I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love for you guys to watch the game if you have time to watch the game. Chime in if you have differences in who should get which award. You know, Let us know in the comment section. Would love to debate anybody on that because that's I think that's pretty fun. It is pretty fun, and it's a fun debate. It's like I think I think all the nominees we had are are could you could argue any of the nominees on any of these awards. So feel free to to do it. I'll I'll, I'll list some of them out so that you guys can see them. Tell us in the comments, and so concludes another edition of the Gold Dives. I'm your host Rudy Solis the Third, and with me is my brother, my co-host Raymond Solis the First, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time, same Goldcast channel, even though sometimes it changes. Smith in a gun with Gore on his left hip. Third down, Alex takes the snap. Alex looking. He's got him. Post, and it's got him. Oh, touchdown. Touchdown, 49 <laughs> Davis with the play of his life. Alex Smith with the play of his life. And the 49 are nine seconds away from playing for the NFC Championship. Can you feel K?